Hi, welcome to Potty Mouth. This is episode two with Laurel Keeley, and we are at her home and studio in just outside Exeter in Devon. My name's Lara, and I really hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Laurel. Hi, Laura. Um, thank you for having me. Right. Thanks for giving me an Adam Frew cup to drink out of. Who have you got? I'm drinking from... I can't remember her name. Sue Bins. It's gorgeous. A beautiful blue and white striped Sue Bins mug that I love. Well, we've both got our cups. We've both got our tea. Um, I'm going to jump right in with my first question. Okay. And as you start listening to the podcast, you might... Be aware that this format starts to emerge. Right. First question is, what clay do you use? <laughs> I suddenly started feeling really nervous. Yeah. The clays that I, well, I'm using yeah. more than one at the moment because I'm um, mucking about with different ideas. And the one that I like most is a hand white, whitish firing hand building material called tea material. Where do you get it from? I... Various suppliers, it's, it's manufactured in Stoke. None of these clays that, that we use, other than local clays or things that uh, wild clay, that so-called wild Wild clay. clay. People dig out of the ground. They're all, none of them are just straightforward clays. They're all composites and things that have been manufactured. Mm-hmm. Combinations of different elements that will create a clay that will work for a different purpose. And the tea material is stupidly expensive because the man, it was manufactured as a, an industrial clay mm-hmm. and sculptors realised that it had wonderful properties for hand-building. Like plas- plasticity Yeah, properties. and holding its form and not cracking. You can push um, the clay to take up forms thin and it'll hold its form even at higher temperatures. So it comes from somewhere in the Midlands and it's a composite but it has magic ingredients, one of which is molochite, ah. which give it this strength. And so what, what temperature is it firing to? Well, I'm firing to 1260 or 1265, but it will go higher than that. What, what difference does your five degrees make? Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's highly significant, five degrees. Well, it could make a little bit of difference in surface quality. It can change the glaze slightly. Yeah. It can reduce the cost slightly. This is where we get into how can you reduce costs and power use when you're making ceramics. Which we're definitely going to get into shortly. Yeah. And okay, so, so that goes you're to firing stone, broad range stoneware temperatures. So basically, working in stoneware, what kind of kiln? Preferably. Uh, electric kiln. I've always worked with electric kiln because when I started a long time ago, I wasn't working somewhere where I could create a wood-fired kiln. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't possible. And um, at college, I'd use gas kilns because you get the whole range of... You get all of the kit, yeah. Yeah, a whole range of glazes from reduction firing. And uh, I couldn't afford a gas kiln. So two things. Electric They're expensive. Kiln, yeah, electric yeah. kiln was cheaper. Yeah. And also would give predictable results when what I needed to do was to be able to sell what I made. And presumably also works in an urban environment exactly. in a way that you can't stop 
billowing a kind of big wood-fired kiln in yeah, the middle yeah. of the city centre. Or just sawdust or whatever. You've got to be out on moors or something. Interesting. Okay, next question is um, your approach to surface decoration. Because people are listening to this. They may have never heard of you. They might be beginning to think, oh, I might look up one of her pots. But can you describe your work and where are you on the surface decoration kind of spectrum well, it depends if you're talking about now or kind of where I started, because where I started was <clears throat> using uh, clay, the clay form, just as a vehicle for colour decoration, um, figurative decoration, very simple. And the stuff, the work started to sell really well because of the drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wasn't really because so Because the to drawings do with... on the work. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because you were a painter. No, 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 I wasn't. Which way I was always a potter. Always, I always, I always, I always think something. you were like into painting at the beginning. No, no, no. Okay. no. Um, so it was the drawings that sold the work. So I kept going with that, but um, and initially the stoneware then went to porcelain, and I got. Oh. <laughs> That's fine. Sure. Tell them to fuck off. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of an interview with Potty Mouth. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Sorry about that. It'll be about her dogs. It, it was. Of course it was. <laughs> it's the vet wanting some money. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so I went from stoneware to porcelain because I got into doing very detailed figurative illustrations, very, mm. very detailed. Because that's what was selling. Yes. Yeah. And then I just got absolutely sick of doing that. And you know that saying that um, artists are the only profession where... When something is working really well and bringing you money, decide not st- to do it anymore. <laughs> exactly. Was it? There's nothing. Nothing fails like success. <laughs> so thought, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Making so, far too much money. And also, it was just so detailed and so slow. I just thought, oh, come on. So I started making bigger things, and that's where the tea material came in. Okay. Because I was introduced to it. Because I use crank. And just, just to go back a slight step, so we're, you're, you're not just talking about working with lots of different glazes. You're talking about working with slips, working mm. with oxides. Really simple. Really, yeah. really simple. So initially, the very detailed work was an incised line mm-hmm. in the raw surface that um, at bisque stage was stained with an oxide and a plain glaze put over the top. And why, because there's this, I'm beginning to understand that there seems to be a sense with potters, which is not beginning to understand, but there's a a fork in the road comes at a certain point where you decide you're either going to be into glazing and all the kind of glaze technology and surface decoration in that way, or you're going to go, I'll go down another route, Mm. which is not getting involved in. Mm. that whole world mm. what do you remember the point at which you made a decision or was it never really a decision you were never that into the complexity of glazing oh I, it was it was a decision um to try and simplify things out in order to be able to sell so that galleries would come back for more of what you had done but there was variation within that method so i could mm. produce whatever i wanted yeah as long as um the forms were up to scratch and that method worked. Mm-hmm. 
um, with the glazing. You could guarantee results. So yeah. it was another financial, it's interesting, another mm. financial decision. Mm. That's why yeah. sometimes potters end up doing one thing all their lives. You know, they, mm. they like doing it, it sells well, da-di-da. But um, the glazing, I mean, I did all the glaze testing and stuff at college and it is, I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah, but it's, it's a very, whole other world. Yeah, it's very compelling. Um, but it is, it's a whole whole other world. You can spend a lifetime investigating glazes. If we were going to describe that, what I'm doing pot there, there, how would you describe that pot? Um, that particular piece, piece, again, is using the form as a vehicle for what's going on on the surface. Because the more, I mean, that's a three-dimensional form, but the, the upright pots now mm-hmm. have got something else going on. But that is a sort of a shallow bowl form is working with um, surface layers of slip, um, oxide dropped in at the bisque stage to bring out the texture and the drawing and the richness of the surface. So that is all about... It's, that is all about surface. And I mean, two colours, but mm. with... So you've got a blue... Was that a black? No, it's a black. It's, a black. it's got a, a, a blue look when the white slip yeah, goes so over. Yeah, you've got it. massive tonal changes because of the way that you're handling the slip. Yeah, yeah, the thick and the thin, and then the thick areas. Oh, yeah, black. The thick areas are crazing, which is just shrinkage. People often think that this particular technique is raku, but it's not. It's just the shrinkage of the slip on the clay body underneath, according to how thick the slip is, how dry the body is. Mm how wet the slip is, et cetera, et cetera. And you can layer up and get rid of richness, which is then brought out at the glaze stage with um, applying and rubbing back with oxides and all sorts of I oxides. I love that work. you always say it's such a simple technique, but it is a simple, simple technique, mm. but the, the complexity comes in how you handle that technique. Mm. Like, so it's not simple. But then you see this links up. This is now this is quite interesting because this links up with using um, just an electric kiln for firing, mm-hmm. because potters will will say, "Oh, you know, electric kiln is boring." Yeah, it's always predictable and boring. Yeah. So the challenge is to create variety. I mean, obviously within a range of what you can sell if you're working in the way that I was working, but to create richness from what is considered to be basically a very boring firing technique. Say compared with wood firing, yeah. which you which you get there, it doesn't look like work that's coming out of an electric kiln. It's far more interesting. Mm. Mm. So when you you just said then when I was you referenced about when I was selling. So you're now in a different position. How long have you been making pots? <laughs> <laughs> She's so old. Uh, Forty. I think the first firing was. End of 79, so what is that? The year I was born. Oh, fuck <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. Um, end of interview. <laughs> Potter so, flounces out. <laughs> Potter flounces out. Mic drop. So you made your first pot the year I was born. 79, 79. I was born. Um, so where were we? 2023. So, so now we're at where we're at. And you, because you've had <laughs> a successful... Career. I know you'll cringe at me saying that, but you've had an incredibly successful career. Um, the the need to sell in the way that you 
had done previously during your life is isn't there mm. in the same way. Yeah. How has that affected your creativity? Oh, it means I can try out all sorts of things. And I've got a, you know, I've got I've got all these galleries. I've I've I've, I've stopped selling at a lot of galleries to take the pressure off. I don't want to, people to keep mm-hmm. asking me for work. It just means I can experiment, try things out. And is that Exciting, joyful, terrifying. What's actually all, all of those? All of the above. <laughs> yeah, but that, it gives it gives you the it, it's a, oh, it's this whole thing of having been doing the same thing for X number of years, and then um, people around you retiring. Just as you're getting to the point where you think, actually, I could do this. Oh, I've or, got something to say. Yeah, or I could yeah. do this, and I've got yes, I've got something to say, and I've got the tools with which to say it. Yes. It's ages and ages ago, I wish I'd written it down or, or kept the reference. I read something which said, oh, I know what, it was talking about a potter who died far too young. Mm-hmm. And what a shame it was because potters only begin to make their best work once they reach the age of 60. Really? Yeah. Amazing. Do you think that's good? I, um, so do you consider yourself a potter? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm asking that question because yeah. I had a little interview with Rosa Um, who you know is my daughter, my tiny daughter, eight-year-old daughter. Who's full of wisdom. Who's full of wisdom. And she decided that she wants to create Potty Mouth Junior, which will be the podcast where she will interview Potter's children about what it's like to be the child of a Potter. Oh, Which is brilliant, brilliant, right? So I said to her, well, I'm going to interview you for the first one and then you can take it on from there. So my first question to her was, do you consider yourself to be a Potter? And she said, not yet. And I said, okay, well, then my second question is, what does it mean to be a potter? And she said, it's when your hands, the clay, and your soul become one. And I'm not there yet, (laughs) aged eight. She said that. Yeah. So no wonder you need to get to 60, you know, to get your soul, your hands, and the clay as one. Oh, gosh. Isn't she extraordinary? I think you ought to bring her up here and we do another podcast with her. I know. She's so Could we do that? Yes, definitely. But also she'll interview your kids. Oh, God, I'd love that. Wouldn't that be wild? One of my children's a musician, um, which is quite definite choice. Yeah. So why with a... um, an artist, Potter mother, would you choose to, <laughs> to go into the creative world as well? Exactly. Yeah, as a musician. Um, okay, so you're now in a position where you don't need to sell. You've got all the freedom. Uh, how do you, when I mean, we were talking before we sat down and turned on the mics, we were talking about this wall of work that we're sitting in front of now, which is where you're being given creative tasks each day mm. that you're responding to. Can you just talk a little bit about that and why you're finding it helpful? Is it something you would have done 20 years ago? No, I, I, it's, <clears throat> I definitely wouldn't have done it 20 years ago because the time to do it is an indulgence. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what is it? What's happening? The, the, what, what the... The arts organisations. Yeah, they're setting a, a creative yes, challenge this, to This artists. is Art Quest. Art Quest, OK. Which seems to be quite an interesting organisation. Mm-hmm. They are setting uh, a challenge called 30 Works in 30 Days. Mm -hmm. They aren't specifying the medium. Mm -hmm. 
um, they are only specifying that you respond to a brief, which is a very broad brief given out in the morning, and you have to put your work online by midnight the same day. And the interesting thing about being, it being put online, it's not being put online publicly to everyone, is it? It's only the people within the challenge. Who are re registered. And also within the challenge, you can specify that you don't want your, your work Anyone to see made it. public. You yeah. can be completely private. It's not a competition. So I've, I've taken it on because for various reasons, I've felt a bit stuck. And I've, I'm in a position where I can put the time into thinking about something like this and using different materials, different media um, around what are very abstract briefs. They're, they're wonderful briefs they've been sending out. Nice. Um, I love the one that was that one, the blind tulips that you said was like the Hokusai oh, um, yes, this thunder was a, god. Yeah, this was interesting input from, from the, sort of the computer the AI. algorithm. Yeah. yeah. So what was the brief for that piece? The brief was do something you think you'll be bad at. Yeah. So Which this, no artist wants to do that. So this image that we're looking at is this pretty sort of dark black charcoal. It's rubbed out. Rubbed blind out. drawing of tulips. And then uh, it's really dark. And then there's this red, like really intense red all over it. And what happened? You took a photo of it. Yeah, I took a photo to sort out loading it onto the website. And a little icon appeared in the middle that I'd not seen before. I know, what is this? And clicked on it. And the reference was to an image by Hokusai of whatever century it was. I'll have to look it up again because I don't remember numbers. Of the Thunder God. So what? So if you uh, look up yeah, so what cool. Hokusai, Hokusai's image called the Thunder God. And what I think is interesting about that is that I would associate a thunder god with somebody that is connected to kind of wrath and anger, and you're really crap at being angry. <laughs> so that's what so, you're not good at. You're not good at being angry. So I just think that's really that's cool. spot on, isn't it? It's, um, it's absolutely spot on. Can I ask good at being angry? What connected to that? What you think? Have you had periods of creative block? Over the last 40 years, is that something that comes and goes? Mm. Um, I, it's a really difficult one to answer because um, when you're producing work um, to sell, if you get stuck, you can just work from what it was you previously did. Mm -hmm. and, and there's all sorts of processes within ceramics um, that allow you thinking time, so clay preparation or surface preparation or recycling or mixing glazes or whatever, you can get around creative block by doing those tasks. Mm -hmm. And then the creative bit, you can just think, well, I'll, I'll just do something very simply off the last thing that I did. Um, and the impetus is there because you have to. Yeah, you've got to show up. You've got to go because you need the money in the bank. You can't yeah. just say, "Oh, I just don't feel like it today." Yeah, where it got really difficult was with the painting because I had enormous success initially with the painting, mm -hmm. and then completely lost my nerve. So there, I had got blocked, and doing this, um, just trying these various things out that really don't matter, according to a brief that is can be interpreted in any way you want has been a way back into trying to do something 
Without the fear. Without the fear, doing it in two dimensions, but it's, it's referencing the three-dimensional work as well. And to push you, as you know I do. Oh, God. I know. Oh. I'm sorry. But it's helpful. Oh, good Lord. Is that the um, time? I, I think I must be going. <laughs> um, where, do you have a sense of where the, where the stuckness is coming from at the moment, why the block is there? Do you know, I think this is going to sound ridiculous. A big chunk of it... It's pressure of social media. Mm-hmm. It's not ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I read a quote the other day saying no creative should be involved with social media. I, I couldn't agree more. It's the com- comparison. Yeah. Um, which encourages a feeling of intense inadequacy. Yeah. Um, so do you manage your social media time? Like, do you are you constantly on Instagram? No, or? no, no. No, I'm not. I keep... Occasionally, it's, you see, it's, it's useful because you, you do need to know what's going on. Yeah, but, but I think that... it's poisonous. It's, I think the, the tricky thing is about you need... There's this, in the past, you would have been looking at books and magazines and there's references and you have some kind of sense of what might be relevant. But there's a sort of time lag with printed media in that sort of way and even magazines you know they're kind of coming out you know on a certain cycle and stuff whereas now the idea of like is what I'm making relevant am I relevant I think it's that kind of connection to social media and the immediacy of everything there from Mm. the entire world Mm. that trying to understand where you where you're positioned in the world is what's quite toxic maybe yeah and it's implicitly competitive yeah it isn't just people showing other people what they've done, there's not it? It seems to me, I mean, it's a generalisation, but it seems to me there is always an agenda. Yeah. And I don't like that competitive thing. I never have done. That's my only gripe about the pottery throw Yeah, down. the fact there's a competition. Yeah, I don't like the competitive side of it. So, but is, is the solution then just simply not looking at any social media? No. No, it's not. Because... Mm. There are some gems, real gems come up. Yeah. I, for, for instance, I looked this morning on Instagram and um, Edmund Duval had posted an image of a sparrow in an, oh, I can't remember whether it was a bit, a bit of stone, I think. I don't think it was a tile. A bit of stone, ancient, just this little bird. And... Um, it, the, the universality of a bit of communication like that is is wonderful. Yeah. If you don't get caught up in the comments, which inevitably become competitive, oh, you know, I've seen that. Yeah, that it's the comments, that. isn't it? It's, it's, it's the that, bloody comments. Yeah, but that image in itself. And I think he's very good at just throwing something out that he values. Mm. Yeah. As, as an inspiration, not as yeah. a yeah. look at me. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Although there's always a bit of that, if you think about it. There's always a bit of that. Everyone wants attention, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, so it's difficult because cutting yourself off from social media feels, what's the word, a bit Luddite. Yeah, a bit regressive. Yes, it's there. Um, If you don't look, you... 
Uh, you're missing out on some level of contemporary, I don't know, education, mm-hmm. um, awareness. Because it, it, to, not, to not be aware of social media or not be involved in it somehow is a bit like, you know, when people said, well, I'm not having a television in the house. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to let my children watch television. It's I, better to watch television and learn how to edit. So have you found, like, sort of collaborations are a way out of blocks at different times? Have you ever collaborated with other artists? Yeah, how, how, yeah, because of that little piece yeah. we were looking at just now. It's, it's, yeah, it, um, it, it's, it's interesting to collaborate with another artist. If there's room for both of your ideas mm-hmm. and one isn't more dominant than the other. Yeah. Um, the brief yesterday for this challenge, was, which was collaborate with somebody else, was an absolute delight. I thought, well, you know, other than talking to the dog, I know, how am I, how am I going to do this today? Because I hadn't planned actually on speaking to anybody. But this, this is what's interesting about having a, a brief that is so open-ended. Yeah, because that person could have been, the person you're collaborating could be dead or alive. Yes. Yes, you see, I could do it all over. You instantly yeah. start thinking, well, you know, I could have done it this way or I could have done it that way. In fact, what I did was sent out a dismal little text to a long-term friend. So I've got to collaborate with somebody for today's brief. And his response was, well, yeah, don't bloody well ask me. It makes me feel sick. I thought, <laughs> thought to collaborate. And, you know, but it's, it's fun to find ways ask out Ask the of, dog. Ask I, the dog. I can't ask the dog. She's useless. Roof. <laughs> um, what, what has changed in, the, in terms of your approach to making work or just generally in in terms of your world of work, shall we say, what has, in the past 44 years, what has changed in the work, you know, whether that could be about the industry or about how you feel or the kind of work or the materials, but what would be your, what do you think has been the biggest change in the last 40 years? Oh, I mean, the technology, um, has developed um, hugely and the availability of materials and colours and processes, mm. um, that level of communication around the industry. But I think the highest impact is now where we are in terms of using up resources, mm. using up power, how responsible is our making going to be? Yeah, like um, in that 40 the, years we've gone from sort of brown pots because the colours and the technology wasn't available for yeah. the range. Yeah. And then in 40s, all the clay's been available, all the glazes, all, all the colours. And now we're... There's too, there's too much choice. There's too much uses of, use of resources. And there's that whole thing of um, the corruption within the industry. Say, for example, the um, cobalt mining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And children being used still down mines. To so the ethics and sustainability yeah, around it yeah, is really yes. questionable, actually. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, w- 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 you know, we live in such a consumer world. How much responsibility do we have to not fill it up with second-rate objects that aren't going to disappear because they're, they're fired, they're becoming stone? Mm. I did a whole load of work on... Um, Ceramics being fast-track geology. Yes. Clay, moulded, fired in the kiln, turned into stone really quickly, which is what the 
the, the geology yes, of, of the world is, 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 is So what's happened with that, all that work? Well, I've got little bits and bobs of it around you. All right, when are we going to do the show? Let's do it, Akum. You serious? Yeah, next year. All right. All right, this yeah. time next year. This time next year? On this year. day... What day is it of the week? Wednesday. No, it has to be a Thursday. It has for to be a Thursday. Week. So tomorrow next year, yeah, we'll have the opening for the geology show. <laughs> Do you know we'll this come year? with a better title, but yeah. We'll, we'll get a better title than that. Okay, so that's done. That's a deal. I'm right, giving okay. you the eye. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> what has stayed the same in the last 40 years? Oh, for me personally? In terms of your work, the ceramics world? For, for me personally... It's still exciting. There's still stuff to be done. There's, um, even within a limited area of work, because you can say, oh, I want to do wood firing because of the wonderful surfaces, and I want to do pit firing because of the wonderful surfaces, da-di-da. But if I'm going to stay restricted to an electric kiln and using these materials, there's still so much to do. There's, there's so, so much, much to, to do. do. Okay. And so little time, Lara. So what stayed the same is your enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the and the belief that it matters. It, it does bloody it, it matter. Matters. And and ceramics in particular can reach people in the way that um, other art forms, visual art forms, can't. I believe because, um, I mean, everything that you say is contentious, isn't it? But if you think everything I say is contentious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. But if you think, look, you see, you're sitting there holding. A beautiful mug made by Adam Frew. Hi, Adam. Hi, Adam. We love you. <laughs> we love you. We want you back. Stop having babies. <laughs> Come back. Come back to Devon. Come back to Devon. He's, he's made a beautiful object, absolutely beautiful object that you could use every day and give you pleasure. Yeah. Um, and a painting on a wall isn't necessarily going to do that. Is well, it can something... do, but there's something about it being in your hands or that you're yeah. eating off it or that you're... Yeah. ..that makes it part of your life. Yeah. Like, a, like yeah, it's, it's amazing, really. And it's a connection um, to the past and, you know, stuff that's dug up, archaeological bits of ceramic that's dug up with fingerprints on. Mm. Exciting. So you're part of a continuum. Hmm. You're part of a continuum. And it's still interesting. So we've got the last three questions. Oh, God, come on then. Try me. What is, in relation to your work, what is troubling you? Be um, honest. Oh. Uh, a very good friend of both of us has died. Yeah. And it makes you think, well, we're lucky to be here, lucky to be functioning. What are we going to do with that time? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with that time? What are, you know, I've got, I've got everything I need here to go on making. My responsibility is to make that time worth something. Make it pleasurable. Andy would have wanted you to enjoy have a, it. Have a bit of fucking fun. Have a bit of fucking fun. <laughs> Come on, it's just mud. <laughs> it's a load of mud yeah. with some fucking colour strapped on it. And then the bastard, what he'd turn around and he'd say is, you have got to start taking yourself seriously. Yeah. 
It was that paradox. We love paradox, isn't it? The paradox paradox between the the fun and the seriousness. Mm. You have to take the work seriously, but you have to fucking enjoy it. Mm. You have to have fun with it. Mm. Take the skill seriously. Mm. Take yourself seriously. Don't fuck about. Mm. But have fun with it. So, yeah, Andy going is troubling. Mm. And that's aside from um, issues around climate and... All the biggies. Yeah, all the biggies, as you put it. What is working for you with your work at the moment? Oh, the freeing up. Yeah. The freeing up with the mark making, the textures. Um, the ability to be able to experiment again. Yeah, yeah. play. Yeah, it's really good. And again, specific to the work, what is hopeful? Oh, well. This upcoming well, show at Coombe Farm uh, next year. No. Obviously. <laughs> obviously that's central. What is um, hopeful? What's hopeful is that the new pieces that I am making, which at the moment is to do with uh, communication, the nature of communication, mm-hmm. what we say and how other people hear it, yeah, that's I've, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a whole other podcast to do on that. Yeah, but how it, what we say either directly in terms of words or what you make can be interpreted so differently by others. Yeah, and what's what I'm finding hopeful or interesting is the possibility that I can approach a gallery, a new gallery that hasn't seen my work before and say, look, this this is the kind of thing I'm doing now. Would you be interested in showing it? Yeah. Um, because for a very long time, I've, I've been able to supply galleries because they know what I do. Um, they know the history of what I've done and they'll give anything a go, really. Yeah, and you were supplying work on a commercial basis, whereas now you're talking about the work standing up as a, f- as a form in its own right and yeah. as a conceptual piece. Yeah, yeah. And that's a huge shift. Yeah. Which is really... It's really exciting. and exciting. Yeah, and... Um, and looking at what galleries the galleries present that I'm interested in and thinking, well, you know, I wonder if they might be interested. So we need our dear, gorgeous friend, Owen Maidup. Ah, Tozer! Tozer, to um, produce a few more photos, black and white at Coombe. Yes, and we'll do a little let video. Me use for a brochure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You listening, Tozer? I'm going to hit yes. you up. Yeah. So I've already, I've only done two of these podcasts. I've already got a list of things I need to do. One is I've got to find Jill Fanchelkato a gas kiln. I've got to get, <laughs> I've got to get you a photo shoot. It's good. I'm just walking away with lists of shit to do. Um, on that note. No, I just, I just think that having got this far, we ought to do another podcast because it's because this is there actually will be. I'm going to be more, I'm gonna be doing more this fun until the day you die. <laughs> Just keep coming back to you. Fuck it out. She's she's back oh, again. Oh God, with a bloody tote recorder. I, I think no. I think next one before you switch off should be with Rosa. Yeah, I will get her to do it. Come down in the summer holidays. She'll be amazing because if she she'll be a curveball. Yeah, she really will. And we'll we'll go around and she can look at things around here. Tell me about that. Tell yeah. Me about that. Why did you do that? And, and I'd like to know what she likes and why. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's it. Thank you so much, Laurel. Well, that was quite good, actually, wasn't it? It was really fun. Having put it off and put it off. Here we are. 
Thank you. Thank you, lovely love. Thank you, love. Hello. Thanks for listening. Um, That was me and Laurel. And if you want any information about Laurel or the things we talked about or to see her work, have a look at the website, which is coombefarmstudios.com forward slash potty mouth. The next chat is going to be with Tim Andrews, who's going to be teaching here soon. So um, look out for that one. Cheers.